This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. Did you ever notice where all movement and all change goes on? It seems to occur only among the things you appear to be conscious of. Consciousness itself never moves or changes, no matter how often the body or other things appear to move. Consciousness simply is. To say you appear to be aware of movement and change is one thing, but to identify with it would be a mistake. To mistakenly identify as a body is to assume you always are moving and changing because the body is constantly moving and changing position. A body's sense of here never is permanent but is based on wherever the body appears to go. When the body is in the kitchen, that is here. When the body goes outdoors, outdoors becomes here. The kitchen now is over there. Identifying as awareness, not body, there is only one here, like the one movie screen. This single here is not a geographical place. It is boundless awareness, as it is being. As awareness, you never move or change. This is clear only to one identifying as pure awareness alone. As the body appears to go through each passing day, there is nothing about you that is passing. The one all-embracing stillness is what you are. You are not that which always moves and never is present, for you actually are being alive, isness, all-inclusive vitality, love as consciously alive substance. Excerpt from Consciousness is All. Valeria interviews Peter Francis Jubin, the author of Consciousness is All. Peter is an author-slash-lecturer on spirituality and consciousness. His first book, Consciousness is All, has helped thousands of readers around the world find their true nature as the infinite self, leading to greater happiness and freedom. Peter's second book, Simply Notice, Clear Awareness is the Key to Happiness, Love, and Freedom, was written to make the deeper points of awareness and spirituality more accessible to the general public. He currently provides consultations and life coaching on a one-on-one basis or in small groups via his living room workshop teleconference calls. Here is the interview with Peter Francis Jubin. In your own words, who is Peter Francis Jubin? Well, Peter Francis Jubin is, frankly, a label given to a body, a person, (laughs) what we call a person. And that's fine. That's wonderful. We all appear to have labels like that. And uh, that's how society works. And, you know, so we sort of conform to what seems to be the the way of doing things in society today. But that's uh, maybe let's just say a very sort of surfacey or superficial type of label or identification. And Peter Francis Jubin is a package of experiences, background from being born at a certain time, certain kind of family experiences, living experiences, certain parts of the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, that's all just sort of a very, very, very tiny part of the whole. 
really, just what you see on the surface. Like literally, like they say, it's a cliche, the tip of the iceberg, maybe. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, consciousness is all. Now life is completely new. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the mm-hmm. first warm-up question is, what is life to you? That's a good one. Life is, in its true sense, is only experienceable, alivable. Right, right now, for example, as these words are being said on the surface, it's as if there's an underlying presence that out of which the words are arising. And if we just, as you know, pause, maybe even find out what it is that's present permanently, ever present behind the words, underneath the words, and is still very present when there are no words, it's alive. And whatever I might say in words about that might be beautifully accurate, might be as as I was just trying to point in what I was just saying, yet the realness of what life is, is what this aliveness is as itself, without any words or thoughts on top of it. Right. What do you think is the opposite of life? Doesn't have one in the deepest sense. Doesn't have one. It might seem to have one when we, when we, sort of mentally get wander life and consciousness pure awareness being this which again here just so this is for your audience just so this isn't words or theory or you know peter's opinion as opposed to countless others but so it can be directly experienced by anyone listening and it doesn't matter what date this you know might appear to seem to be listened to on a playback But this which is here is here, present, alive, in spite of what, whether thinking thinks or says anything about it or not. It's it's choiceless, as they say, too. And prior to this, just this pure consciousness as it is being, it's always present tense. It can't be other than present tense. And when one is sort of one's attention, if you will, is wholly immersed as this, there's just this. And there is no opposite. This is the infinite. The infinity doesn't have an opposite. It's only when we leave this pure being, this pure conscious aliveness, and get into thought or sensory phenomena that we're we're in in the finite, really, uh, the world that we see, hear, taste, touch, smell, think about, have emotions about, which is we, you know, we don't negate it. We're not against it at all. It's a beautiful sort of playground, really. But that's where the finite is, and that's where the opposites are, and that's where it seems there's life and death and and all that. But in the deepest sense, there is no opposite to life. Um, so death, it's just another experience, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, I, I was just going to say, um, one of the things in my so-called experience or path or whatever we want to call it, that was the the peak moment or the most significant was the the perspective for me was flipped around. In in other words, rather than which I had always done and which all of us are taught to do, it seems from from the beginning when we first get on the path, is there was a me, very sincere Peter, spiritual seeker, trying to, you know, sort things out and reading every book he can get his hands on and listening to audios and all this stuff. But there was Peter and then this divine, this infinite, this eternal that I was finding out about that I was gradually sort of making my way to or that I was dissolving in the face of. And the where the lights really went on was when that perspective was kind of flipped around 180 degrees. And it, rather than Peter sort of working up to life with the capital L, the big life, it was a matter of, wait a minute, it's life itself that's being alive. 
Peter doesn't know how to do that, but here life is right here. Here it is functioning perfectly, effortlessly, but it's life that's doing that. I don't know how to personally make life be alive. And by the way, it, so, so it's this life, it's already at itself. It's already, it can't get closer to the life it already is being. And so who is there to be seeking it? That, that's all delusion. You know, in in the in the delusion, illusion of of being a separate self, and then so much of that unnecessary effort just kind of you know dissolves, and there's this aha, and that's life's aha, not Peter's. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm wondering how did this happen? Did that take an experiences to get there? Uh, it well, it it seems like there was a lot along the way. Uh, Again, like we've all done, I was reading everything I could get my hands on, and one thing led to another. I, in the way my experience appeared to unfold, I wasn't led too much to the Eastern teachings in in the books, in like Advaita Vedanta and uh, other Hindu and Buddhism and all that. I, I liked the way they sort of went about. I used to go to meditation sessions when I was living in New York City at the time, actually. And I used to go to some there and it, the and I was raised Roman Catholic. And so it was just such a totally different atmosphere. And the peace, the peace, the peace was so delicious experientially. And uh, I went on from one thing to another to another, let's say in my working with the letter of truth or learning it, knowing the truth kind of. And uh, one of the higher teachings I found was um, the infinite way, which probably many of your listeners are already familiar with, founded by Joel Goldsmith. And uh, I thought that was it. And uh, for many years it was. And yet somewhere in there, a friend told me about the work of a man named Alfred Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, who wrote books on uh, absolute reality. And something which was not Peter, but which was which was is this infinite intelligence that is the one being presently conscious right now, right here. It was. It took me a while to sort of wake up to, hey, you better check this out. You better check this out. So sure enough, I found uh, through a friend, I found his books, and uh, the first book I read was it's titled That Which Is, and in the first chapter, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it said, life is a matter of looking out from God rather than starting as an assumed separate self and looking up to God. And it was like right there, aha, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> and it, that didn't that didn't mean that things all of a sudden stopped, but there, there continues and it'll go on infinitely because consciousness is infinite. There will continue to be infinite unfoldment you know, it'll appear to, to appear to work that way, but there's no longer that same striving and struggling and trying to get there. And the whole time it's an imaginary self, false self that's trying to do all that. Right, right. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Pete? Yeah, that's fine. Either, either one. It's, uh, again, it's not knowing anything necessarily sort of intellectually or being able to reduce it to words, but just the, the fact of this, this aliveness that's here, this, it, it's absolutely all it knows is right now. And it's absolutely without getting into thought about it, but just this pure raw aliveness, it has absolutely no baggage. It's, it's endless openness alively experienced, not thought about, even though we can think about it and we enjoy doing that too. But the actual juice or stuff is the silent aliving and it's spontaneous. It's fresh, fresh, fresh. So that, and, and that being enough, not leading somewhere, not, not trying to accomplish anything, but just this now, 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 now. A question that came to mind is, would that realization end all kinds of suffering? Yes, because it's it doesn't belittle suffering. Doesn't, it doesn't look down on suffering as like, oh, that's for the unenlightened. No, not, not, not that at all. Just It's just 
the aliveness and the, the totality of the presence of the aliveness, of aliveness, which is all there is, really, is that it, it blots everything out. Suffering can't happen because the, the fullness of aliveness is so utter, so complete. Hmm, yeah. And, and yeah. it's all that's going on. And so there's nothing else can enter or happen really, unless we sort of wander, mentally wander away from this, which, and because we still seem to have body minds and need to use them, you know, on a day-to-day basis, that's kind of quote unquote, the work is to stay alert to this freedom that's, that's really actually always here and available. Right. So in a way, expands the space within where it's able to embrace everything and experience everything without judgment, without separation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the relative reality, which is it too. Um, at this time, what is the world's greatest need in your opinion? And do you have a vision for a new reality? It would be first that it's really not my, the only one to have a vision is the self, capital S, the one or, you know, the divine, infinite consciousness, all these words we can use. And it's it's the now, the same thing, the I am presence, all, all of those are just labels. But here, this something is being infallibly presently alive, always. And it's just, from a human point of view, from the relative point of view, we can say, it seems like everyone needs to awaken to this. And it appears that way from the human perspective, or the everyday relative perspective. But from the divine perspective, which actually is the correct one, and we say that because it's 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 this consciousness, divinity, whatever term, that's the one being conscious, not Peter, not people, really. It seems that way. But so you have to sort of be consistent. One has to sort of start there. And it doesn't need to wake up. It doesn't need to, it's it's wholly awake. It's perfect. It's pure. And it's an interesting little aside sort of that comes up as you, as you say this, but, but just to make it keep <laughs> from sounding like something, oh, well, that's nice in the spiritual world, but it's so abstract. It really isn't abstract. It's very practical. It's the most practical thing we can do because when when one is is sort of, Letting this perspective of the divine be one's operative perspective of this this already thereness, this ever freshness, spontaneity, freedom, non-judgmental, non-suffering, just fresh now, 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 now. That this same consciousness is what is perceiving the entirety of your world and universe and experience. It's the only perceiver. And when one is coming from here. This per, it's, it's as if divine perception is perceiving my universe now instead of little worried Peter self worrying about this and that and throwing up all these thoughts and emotions and filters in the way, sort of blocking, messing up the view. But when that's gone, this divinity then seems to perceive my universe. And even while I still appear to have a body and be walking around in the world. And so what better thing could we do for our whole world? And again, it, it, another thing about this is it, it cannot operate only personally. It has to function, the universal has to function universally. It, it can't operate just for one person. So it, and that's, you know, recognizing and saying, oh yes, this embraces the entire universe. This is not just for Peter, but everything that appears within the scope of this consciousness and it's infinite is sort of, quote-unquote, blessed by this perception. I'm wondering about imagination. Do you still imagine? <laughs> uh, well, what happens is there's a clarity, and it's not Peter's clarity, it's this infinite sort of self-awareness that it's absolutely unlimited. And staying alive only presently and not letting Peter thoughts of a past come in. There's nothing wrong with them by any means or, or a future wondering, you know, speculating that's all fine. But the minute there's that thought of something right there, there's some type of limitation. 
it's not a bad thing. But now there's this ever-present infinite sort of in the background, and now this finite thought has come up of something. And if if a, t- a lot of attention is given to that, you know, as they say, where attention goes, energy flows, I, I, I sort of limited things to that. And the that's okay. But the awareness that, well, wait a minute, this infinite if I just stay sort of still and alive, presently alive as this and rest in this and let it do the um, imagining, so to speak, I mean, after all, it's infinite intelligence that knows how to appear to create an entire stellar universe and the beauties of art and music and even things like mathematics and all this stuff that just happens without man. Man doesn't invent it. Man sort of uncovers what's already always been present and that appears as you know all kinds of incredible new realizations and insights or you know on another way we could say it is imagination so yeah i like that do you think that sometimes or maybe all the time um, the universe the divine force uses emotions to guide us yes sure um, you know, it's, it's going to be different for each one of us seems to be, and it's cause it's always, you know, it's infinite. It's in, in its potential expression, but yeah, sometimes there might be a, a little nudge of, oh, dissatisfaction or, uh, what comes up has been coming up for me a lot lately in the last year or two is, a maybe not so much an emotion, but a, maybe this is an emotion and a feeling of like staleness or uh, sort of dullness or stuckness and that now I've, I've learned ah that's a wake-up call so time to let something go time to let something else go yeah then that makes you sense. know and and so uh and you know but it might be even a little bit stronger emotion like um dissatisfaction or whatever and that's life trying to break through those you know seeming things we still seem to hold on to maybe as they say subconsciously without without being aware of it and it's bringing bringing them up to say okay let go of this now you can let go of this now and that's another interesting topic attachment right how can we attach but at the same time let go (laughs) yeah um what is love to you peter it's if I were to put it in words, it's, it's a feeling, but much deeper than an emotion of attraction for another person that can be, that is, and can be a a very wonderful, wonderful thing. And it is, but there's a deeper, uh, just again, ever present oneness, which is simultaneously a warmth, it's a softness, it's a tenderness, it's an intimacy, a a caring and knowing that even what might appear to be all these other apparent bodies in the world that appear as if they're separate, the, the divine eye, the one divine eye that is alive right there as what you call you being alive is there's really no distance or separation between itself. That's that's where we get fooled by the senses, but it's just an intimacy of oneness. It's it's like how close is the present to itself? And you can't answer that. <laughs> you you blow a fuse in your mind, <laughs> but you you know we can experience it. We that is a felt thing. And again, it's a very it's a gentle something it's alive but it's so gentle and and not never looking to another for something never wanting something from never needing anything it's a satisfiedness too it's a sense of completeness and fullness or as you say well-being too (laughs) yeah it's very subtle you're right yeah what is your understanding and idea of peace basically the same thing um all we have all these synonyms yeah and there's really you know what it comes down to sort of from the divine perspective they're just one stuff but (laughs) but we can use all these words and they helps us in the everyday world to talk about it and you know have have wonderful conversations like this but um it's it's a satisfiedness and 
sometimes with with some of the the people that I work with, and for myself, so to speak, I have to say it that way, place a lot of emphasis on just so so it's more of an experience rather than something that's being talked about even right now. There's this presence feeling, presence awareness. Here it is. It's absolutely effortless. It's just a feeling, really a very simple feeling, subtle, like you said, and yet. And it's all, but it's not a power that does anything because itself is all. It's like Joel Goldsmith used to call it no non. It's the power that is non-power because it's just itself. It can't be used by anybody because there is nobody else. There's just itself being. And if you take away an experience, the illusory sort of aspects of experiences, which is what is visibly seen. And what is heard by the ear and what is felt by the tactile sense and what is tasted and smelled, all you're left with is this gentle feeling. And to it, it does not have to spread out across a whole world and planet because that's the illusion it's not really there in the way it appears. It certainly appears to be there, but that's the illusion. And so peace is not, peace is satisfied to be itself alone. It's not trying to pacify anything. Peace is all. So it, it has nothing besides itself it needs to pacify. So there's a true resting right here in this, as this satisfiedness and that's this literally is all that exists, really. Yes, uh, a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> and you are that. That is you, to you know, which is peace, sort of. Right now, this which is being experienced here. This is. It's as if peace is talking to itself mm. throughout this whole conversation. It's, it's, it's right there where the Valeria body appears to be, where the Peter body appears to be, where all the subsequent audience listener bodies appear to be. It's really this one piece saying, yeah, this is me. This is it. <laughs> um, do you ever use the word God? Yes, sometimes. It's uh, useful. It, it has a lot of baggage, too, yeah. um, from what, you know, what culture seems to have done to it. But Sometimes it's helpful in the sense of it completely sort of forces one to drop a lot of personal stuff that might be unwittingly being clung to still or, you know, just uh, because you can say, well, wait a minute, none of this kind of stuff is going on in God. And if, again, if, if we sort of start from the God end rather than from the this personal separate human mortal self looking up to God, but don't start at that end, but start from the divine perspective and sort of let it be a matter of looking out from there. And again, why? Because that's what life, God, the self, the one consciousness with the capital C is doing. And this is its consciousness, not mine. So, that's got to be the sort of the actual perspective, so to speak. And yeah, it doesn't really think of itself as God, but it, it is a helpful term sometimes. It's almost like uh, starting with the end. <laughs> yeah, yes. The, yeah, it's kind of interesting that the start is the destination at the same time. Uh-huh, exactly. What we see a lot is that um, when they do that, they create this idea of God outside of themselves, above themselves, and then they look down, not just at... Right. Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, any, at that, once you leave infinite intelligence, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. In a dream, anything can go possible. on. As they no say. doubt about that. Um, <laughs> so, in speaking of uh, dreams, in dream, um, do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Yes. Uh, at least in how 
I have to say it this way, you know, because we're talking here in, in how I define spirituality. Boy, is that another word that really has a <laughs> lot of different definitions, uh, you know, depending on because, frankly, you know, most folks who and because I felt this way, too, is that, you know, when I attend formal religious services or that that but uh, that are dealing with a me down here and a God off there somewhere and a, maybe on a throne and a God of punishment and reward and, and all that stuff that, and it, it's a lot of uh, dogma and knowing about and, and belief really and actual spirituality. No one really, the only one that can know, be experienced true spirituality is spirit itself. For that to happen, Peter just has to shut up and be silent and be still. <laughs> um, I'm almost at the end of the warm-up questions. It's very interesting uh, the way you express it. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, and again, you know, can, may I say something right there? Yeah. But just because it popped up as you as you were saying that, yeah. for, for more for the audience who is listening to this, it sounds. I mean, according to the picture presented by our five senses, it sure looks like there's a Valeria in New York talking to a Peter body in Arizona, and yet the the way to hear, and it seems as if these words are coming through. Uh, a Peter body. And actually, if you're going to do anything, that's the way to think of it is that they only are coming through Peter body the way, the way the music comes through the radio, but there's no band inside the radio playing that music. The, the radio didn't compose the music. It's just a vehicle. And it's the same thing for, for what's being said right now about spirit and, and all these other peace and love. It, it is that divinity itself that is ever present that's really the one talking mm. doing the talking here thanks to thanks to which this can be put into words put it that way so sorry oh, i didn't mean to yeah. interrupt there continue continue but that's that's the way to hear this rather than oh this peter boy he's been on the spiritual path that's a long fun. time he knows a lot it's got nothing 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 to do with him don't attach any of it to peter because you're only limiting yourself if you do that you're robbing yourself really anyway um what do you think is the uh, purpose of life in the human body <laughs> what is the whole purpose of this Again, you, we, so we're, we're, that's what we're talking about. So we sort of have to speak on those terms, you know, from that perspective. And if anything, it would be to awaken in this lifetime and awaken now before the body leaves the scene, you know. But, but you know, as they say uh, in, even, even in the Bible, um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And there's so many other sayings too. But they're saying heaven is here now. It's just a matter of where are you coming from? Are you, are you letting heaven be the very consciousness you are? Are you letting that in? Are you letting, you know, the very life? Uh, it's, it's heavenly. That peace we're talking about, that is heaven. Anything else is like something that human imagination is imagining a heaven to be. But it's right here. And it's so to realize that now, sure, even one can experience it, even while one still appears to have a body and walks around on the planet and, you know, does things and, and all that. Yeah. What do you think happens if we don't realize this truth, what life is really is? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Valeria, I would be honest to I would be speculating on that because I, I have had some deep experiences and I even way back used to do, I did some self-hypnosis as far as, you, you know, maybe what were previous lives and karmic experience and, and all that stuff. But it, it's hard to say for certain that one is going to reincarnate because I, I don't have that actual vivid experience. That's not been what the way things have unfolded for me. Um, so I can't say, but I would expect that that is what happens. If you don't make it this time around, you're just going to recycle and do it again until you do. And I've heard some 
uh, teachers that I've had along the way whom I respect very much, and I know they had some very sort of deep experiences in that territory, so uh, I would tend to go with that. Okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I really appreciate your um, honesty and expressing what you you know from experience. You're just talking from that place. Thank you so much for that. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and the intention of writing your book, Consciousness is All? I had found Alfred Aiken's work, uh, which consisted of about, I don't know, nine, ten books, maybe a couple more, all sort of, all of them. And it, it was so clean, the work, in terms of the consistency of constantly coming from the divine. And you see, it's actually misleading for me to say a man named Alfred Aiken wrote those books. Not really. It was that the first book written, uh, so we say by him, that which is the title of it was, was written not by a man, but by a state of consciousness. That's really what's doing everything around here anyway. And it was a state of consciousness that was aware it is the I am or that which is. And so I started, uh, I read the books and then the people who, the company, whatever, that's still, he had passed on. I never knew him personally, the, but the company that sort of keeps his work before the public used to hold seminars uh, several times a year. And there were like week long meetings and uh, they would play these uh, audio recordings of seminars that Aiken gave like for a full seven days. And boy, was that a deep dive, as they say. And uh, after doing that for a couple of years, just because as far as I was concerned, there's nothing else more important than this. This idea started dinging. You know, these books were written in the 1950s and early 1960s. And this was back in the speaking in terms of time in the maybe uh, early 1990s when I had come across it. And uh, the books use they, they use a lot of biblical references because his particular background and expression was Christian. And so there's a lot of that in there. And this thought kept dinging. You know, this could be said in a very different way, the same thing, but just expressed differently by using the word consciousness instead of God, as you touched on earlier. And uh, just, you know, sort of going at it from that angle. And the idea wouldn't leave me alone. And eventually it sort of started to build up into, well, you could say this too. And, oh, you could say that too. And this could be said. And then I started taking notes and uh, I thought, okay, yeah, this is going to be, it's consciousness that's being conscious. You got to look out from the divine. Consciousness is always infallibly present tense. It never deviates. It doesn't know of a past or future. Consciousness is all inclusive. There's nothing outside of it. There's like these major points about it. And it's like, yeah, sure, I can bang this out. I'll be done in six months tops. And it ended up taking more like five years to get it all said, but it, it was very, it was one of those things where very strong feeling you got to do this because if you don't get this, let it express itself, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. And so I just got out of the way and let it, you know, kind of go. Did you experience any change or transformation within? Yes, very much. Very, that was a, a fantastic so-called experience for me to just get uh, immersed in that. And, um, I, I, w I was just as towards the end of, of the writing of it. And when it was starting to come together, it was like, I, I don't you know, I barely remember what went on during the day when, when I was working on the book, but it was just a total immersion in it. And, uh, you know, things clarified, we'll put it this way. It wasn't that a Peter took on all this wonderful wisdom. No, wisdom with the capital W is, and Peter dissolved to some extent <laughs> anyway. A lot of Peter as a personality evaporated, seemed to sort of have never been anything in the first place. Wow, what an amazing um, journey, experience this is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in your book, you say something very interesting. Uh, you say, we cannot have a memory of the present. So 
I guess my question is, what are thoughts and what are memories? Thoughts are a, a type of, I'll say, finite phenomena. It's not something physical like, you know, right now the body that's listening to this and this one that's doing the talking or those your audience members. It's not something like a, a chair that is being sat on uh, while the listening is happening uh, or the talking is happening. It's more, as they say, um, subtle than that. There's, there's gross thoughts. Actually, when you look at the physical world and you see on the, from another point of view, it's actually all mental or, or mentation or perception. You can, we can sometimes call those gross thoughts. And if I think in my so-called mind of a pink rose right now, that's what would be called a subtle thought. Or if I see the letter A in my thought, that, that might be called a subtle thought. So there are those, um, and there's, there's interesting, um, but, the, but it's still some sort of, sort of phenomena. There's a mental object. It's a mental object, not a physical object. Like letter A is maybe um, the, the thing that goes up on an angle from the left-hand side is, is in uh, bright blue. The one that goes down on the right-hand side to make the peak is that's orange, and the crossbar in between is flashing white back and forth, blinking on. Now you can see that, but, but those are like mental, uh, you know, constructs or objects really, even though there's no solidity to them. And it's interesting when we are unaware of self, pure awareness, presence, and are sort of driven by the senses of what is visible, touchable, hearable, et cetera, that sort of engenders or encourages one type of thought based on the level of the senses. And when we're awakened to some extent and the mind becomes more quiet, other thoughts will arise, but they will arise out of the stillness. And those are more of the nature of divinity. You know, that's when we have the insights and the realizations and the ahas and all that. And yet that they're still not it itself because it's sort of been reduced still to something finite and knowable. And what you are is absolutely unknowable, unreducible to something known. So uh, that's just an interesting thing about thoughts is sort of where they're coming from and come from seemingly two different places. And then memory is, is an interesting thing about memory when you really look at it. But memory is what we'll say an everyday language it's a thought of something that happened before, you know, a, so a seeming prior time. And it's a trick that the mind plays, actually, that there can even be such a thing as what we call memory. But um, that's, you know, that's, that's what it is. And yet, like it, the passage you were reading there, in the present, there's, there's just presentness. There, there's no thought there, here. And so... How can you, how can there be a memory of now? Because it's not something that was, it is. If it, memory purportedly is something that the mind tries to tell you, suggests to you that something that was, that's the suggestion. I'm wondering if uh, without the memory, what would this be like? <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it would be, in one way, it would be hard to function in our present day society, for sure. It seems that way. And yet, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could sort of just selectively delete all those memories that don't serve us, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. That, that would have been amazing. And the package of emotions and feelings and yeah, that go that goes with so much of it too. That's true, but yeah. it makes sense the way you're saying. So the present, the divine, what is? It's not a memory; cannot be captured, uh, encapsulated in, in the memory and thought. So that's why when people say, "Oh, you need to remember who you are," and that's so abstract, and we're like, you know, oh, is that a memory? So how do I remember? And then they go back to past lives and all that stuff. Yes, you're right. It, it implies, no, I hesitate to get into this because it's not something that can necessarily be clear in just a couple of minutes. But uh, I, go ahead. 
let's see where else we go here with this. Maybe maybe we can get into this in a bit, depending on where we go. Yeah. What else? What yeah. What else did you have next? Um, something you also wrote something about the body. You said uh, the body is not being. We are being being, not human beings. Yes. I don't have a question. I didn't think about a question, but what is not being? Everything is being. Everything is it. There's nothing that's not. Well, it depends, again, on sort of which direction we speak from. If starting from the divine, which is, let's say, all the presence there is, all the all presence, we could say omnipresent, and that tends to get one thinking spatially, which really isn't accurate because that's a sensory thing and that can be misleading. But let's just say you got to have consciousness first. There's got to be, that's primal, primary. Without consciousness, there's nothing. No, there'd be nothing to be conscious of sensations or thoughts or anything. And so you got consciousness being sort of total presence first and it is just present right right now just so this isn't like some, some guy's theory for for your audience see don't take my words for it but see if this which is presently conscious as these words are being listened to can this consciousness itself vacate being present I don't think so. That's not possible. No. No, it, it, it doesn't budge. No, it won't budge. Thinking will flit back and forth and maybe think of, you know, the past, what it calls the past or the future. Thinking will jump around, but awareness is like rock solid. It's because it's total presence. It, it can't go anywhere because it's already everywhere. And it is just it just is. It's just being. And that's that's infinite being. And it's the the mind cannot cannot get this. You you gotta be being awareness for it to sort of, you know, be clear or make sense. And one thing, again, it's sometimes the definition of words. This is what uh, Alfred Aiken was excellent for. He was such a stickler for accuracy of what do you mean by saying that? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So you really get within yourself and you got to be really clear within yourself what you're talking about, you know, by definitions. And actually being, for example, in, in the everyday world, there's a lot of haziness about the word being. And people think it sort of is co-present with passing time. And, it, and, and all, the, all the everyday world, which is, you know, everyone will, I think, agree that the everyday world that we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell, it's all energy. And energy, it, by definition, is vibration, right? I think everyone will agree with that. And vibration, why is it called vibration? It's because it's, maybe we can't think it this fine, and scientists can get down really fine and measure it, but it's sort of oscillating or vibrating with a certain frequency, depending on whatever it is that you're talking about, you know, down to atomic particles and subatomic particles, which basically make up what we call the body, really. That's it. That's at the essence of it. It's all energy, really. And the, the whole, you know, manifest phenomenal world. It appears to be energy. And thanks to this vibration, it's always constantly changing. And all of this energy is happening. We see, for example, a wall is different from H2O or air because one seems more solid than the other. And that's a little different from water which is liquid because they're vibrating at different frequencies. That's all. And our level of perception of that is another kind of frequency and that's how the whole thing interacts. But when you look at being and what it really means, being means is, present tense. And in is, there's absolutely no mention of time. Mm, yeah. No mention of past or future. Not And time, is, past is, is not anymore. And future is, is not yet, but in pure is, there's just is, there isn't any, is not anymore, or is not yet. There's just is. And 
in being, what, what I'm saying is in pure being, infinite being, being is not frequent. Being is. So there's no frequency in being. It is. And so it is not in the, in the deepest sense, it is not in the realm of vibration. It's outside of it. It's independent of it. Mm. Oh, wow. And you see, because all, all vibration, too, is finite. It's measurable. Even though, you know, it takes these super fine scientific instruments to, to do it. And a lot of times they're just theorizing. But by the, by the very fact that you're saying, well, this one is at this frequency and this one is at that frequency, you've got some kind of measurement going on there, an observation to be able to tell one from the other. And in being, there's none of that. And again, the thinking mind just can't go there because the thinking mind itself is time and is vibration. And that's why this is totally outside of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, when you say outside of that, in your book, you write something that I, I wrote here. There is no world out there separate from you. That this being or this um, yeah. whatever can, we can put into words even, it can only experience itself through all this. <laughs> the you, me, nature, uh, Right, <laughs> right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we you know, uh, it sounds funny, Valeria, but we are able to say these things and be clear about them. But I'm, I'm not going to kid myself. I am so far away from living that. That's I mean, if I were living yeah. as pure being, there'd be no phenomena. I would be incapable of talking. I would not be experiencing time. There'd just be light. That's all. It's interesting, too, from... From the human and scientific point of view, scientists will look at the phenomenal world of energy and all this vibration. They'll get it down and they'll say, well, it's, it's actually, it's really, it's all photons. I've heard that said. I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know. But it seems like, it. And, and photons are light, units of light. And from our sort of finite perspective, when we're sort of looking in on light, that's how we can describe it. And we see, oh, yes, these photons, we're, we're, so it's almost like we've got one foot in each area a little bit. But from the standpoint, if you flip the perspective around again, in, in absolute light, which we could say is synonymous with pure being, there's just light. There's no change. And it does, it does not think of itself as made up of many separate photons. That's something the human mind does its best to try and describe, but it just is being changeless light mm. and it has nothing objective to itself even. Mm. Right. And that's the, the paradox, which is fascinating. So wonderful. There's that consciousness is everything. And at the same time, it's not. So is and isn't at the same time, same, same. There's no time anyway. So everything now, here, you, me, all, everything that's happening, it's just it. It's the absolute experiencing the relative. And um, yeah, it's amazing. You're right. The mind cannot, the rational mind cannot comprehend, cannot even get started with that. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. And it's good to know that too. So then you won't waste time trying. Right. You know, uh, wow. even though, but it's interesting how... <laughs> By just resting as that stillness and letting the infinite be present instead of me, Peter, trying to be infinity, uh, you know, just getting out of the way, so to speak, or just resting is all you can do. Then these insights and realizations come too. And, and by the way, um, just to make this again so it doesn't sound so out there or abstract it, and why it's so practical is like uh, I would expect a lot of your audience are people that deal in energy and maybe energy workers and all that. And this is just sort of a, oh, maybe a validation that you, as you truly are, are not on the level of that with which you are working. You, and that's why, you know, we can all tell sort of we do it intuitively or by feel, we can tell the difference between dense energy and, you know, agitative energy and mm. peace and ease and calm and soft energy and all that. That's thanks to you're not being any one of those. 
Because if you were on that level, you couldn't stand apart from it and say, aha, this one is that way and that other is that way. And I can make that distinction as awareness from the point, standpoint of awareness or pure being. And that's, that's your sort of your freedom and your, if sometimes they say your dominion. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's when most of us get stuck <laughs> when we think that being it has this, um, it has a quality when this is, is it's based <laughs> or the perfume of consciousness is all over it somehow. It has taken over somehow. At the same time, it's not, but when some people don't know how to navigate, how to open that door to um, pure consciousness, as you call it, we feel the suffering. That's what, that's my measurement in a way, and anxiety, depression, all that. And that's when I know. Um, but would you like to add anything before I ask you my final questions, Peter? Nothing's coming up other than just uh, if, if any, if this were of any use, interest, help to anyone listening is just stay open to your, your keep, keep your, as, as they say, keep your attention within, 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 and, and stay open to the inherent goodness that is being you. And that is always available and talking, speaking in its own language though. And be receptive, be listening, but, but have the attention within rather than on the external. Because the external is, is by the time it's manifest, it's already old news. And there's no, there's no power there. There's no life there. It's all your, that which is being alive as you is all the life. And we, you know, for want of a better way of saying, we, we call that the within, but that's where it's at. I love that. Yeah, thank you for the profound message. So my final questions, what is to be successful uh, in this relative reality? What would that look like? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll start by, again, and this is just, this is not Peter. <laughs> this is just what, how, how the self is and, and talks about itself. It, but it's that, let's look at that question first from the divine perspective in that, and it's so simple because all there is to the self-consciousness after all this talk and all this deep seeming stuff, it is as simple as being, being present now. How, how simple, nothing could be simpler. It doesn't involve any thought. It doesn't, it doesn't take any time. It's like, here it is. Boom. Being is. And from the divine point of view, from the standpoint of consciousness, isn't consciousness even right now being 100% successful in being presently conscious? Mm, yeah. Isn't it succeeding at being, isn't being succeeding at being right now? Yeah. If it weren't, if it weren't being, I wouldn't be, there'd be, I wouldn't be able to talk. I wouldn't exist. There'd be no existence, but here's existence. Here's consciousness. Um, in other words, the self from its perspective, is always 100% absolute success being itself. And that being itself is the only I that there is, which means it's the only, it, the only kind of you there is. Mm. That which can say I right where you are is that self. So always absolute success is 100% guaranteed. I have a, a saying I like, divine perfection is always the only outcome. Mm -hmm. from the divine point of view. And if you take that, that might seem like, again, as talking about the divine, what about my everyday world? Mm -hmm. But if you let that be your attitude, that then that consciousness is what perceives your everyday world. And your everyday world, you, and this consciousness is the substance of that everyday world. So it has to begin to reflect that perspective. And so from a, from a, in the everyday world, as you to get to your question now, finally, long way around, <laughs> um, from the relative sort of point of view, success is taking the, letting the perspective of the divine be the perspective that's going to be taken right here. 
that it's just always infallibly present, pure, perfect. It also is, it's not so in the clouds that it doesn't know how to deal with things on an everyday basis. And if you see someone that appears to be suffering, inwardly know their truth of their divine nature and outwardly maybe offer kind words or can I help? What can I do to help you? And so on and so on and so on outwardly with the body in the everyday world, you know, bring it down to earth, so to speak, and, and, and be helpful in whatever way you can outwardly, but inwardly maintain your integrity, which is absolute perfect integrity. The self is perfect integrity and that's your only nature. Not thanks to you, not thanks to Valeria or Peter or any other body. Thanks to self being what it is. Mm, yeah. Wow, your definition of success uh, reminded me of, <laughs> of nature itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just effortlessly unfolding. And very successful at it. Beautiful. And very successful. That's right. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself navigating the relative reality? <laughs> The relative reality. Yeah, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I would say it's it seems hard sometimes to honor your what you know to be your highest sense, even though conditioning and the senses and old thoughts and and more and more like what they call subconscious feelings want to pull you into old habits or another, you know, kind of direction that on the highest level, you know, isn't your highest, but something you seems like you can't help yourself and you just go along with it. And then afterwards, you hate yourself for doing it. Um, and then you learn to freak. Well, I didn't invent any of this stuff personally anyway. And I'm, <laughs> you know, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to be forgiving of myself and just pick up and start all over again. It just led to my next question. Uh, do you believe in unconditional self-love? Yes. From from the divine point of view. The from a personal point of view, there's there's so many, who knows, dark closets and you know, from if you want to say from prior lives, who knows what went on in <laughs> in previous experiences and karmic stuff is still hanging around. But from from the higher point of view, we can say. Ah, the self is unconditional love and the only it doesn't love itself as if it were an object to itself because it, it is itself. It can't be an object to itself, but it is its very nature is unconditional love. And that is the one who is being present and alive here as I no thanks to Peter. Thanks to self being what it is. And so, yes, that self can wholeheartedly accept what it is as itself right here as as this self that's being conscious here and it's it definitely feels worthy for does peter feel worthy of being divine no way but does the self is not the self worthy of being all that is true of itself of course of course in fact it can't be otherwise it already is that why why throw up resistance in the way of that and so You know, that that inner me that still, oh, I don't deserve this or whatever. No, no, get out of the way. Just go, let go, let go. Because this isn't Peter's life in the first place anyway, really. Mm. I find it interesting the way you say that Peter is not deserving to be divine or that's kind of interesting the way you say, right? I don't separate the relative and the absolute. Uh, it's one thing. I don't see the difference. <laughs> On a personal basis, yeah. But it, it would be like um, when, when thoughts of Peter's past experience and behaviors as a kid or whatever come in and they try to throw up this thing and says, whoa, you're not worthy. You're, you know, you're, you're unworthy. You're the blah, 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 all, all this stuff. And then... There's like, no, 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 that's actually, that's just a mirage, really. That's a smoke screen, really, not really there. And as it is, truly, it is as you say. Yeah, there's no separation. No. Uh, if you knew you would lose the body, leave the body soon, would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? I would say just um, 
in one sense, I could say try to be more true to myself. And then in another sense, I can say, look, I was do I didn't set out to make things hard for myself, you know, intentionally. And so even when it seemed like I was messing up, I was still doing the best I knew at that level of consciousness. So, um, you know, I might say, yeah, I would just there were times when I felt if I could have been maybe a little more honest inwardly, a little more, you know, true to myself, the self, put it that way. Would you do anything differently now if you knew you would lose the body in, let's say, a week from today's date? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, maybe, you know, if, if, if I really knew that, I'd maybe call up close friends and say goodbye, maybe, or something. But um, I love that answer. <laughs> Not changing yeah. anything, right? Uh, my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? The only self there is is perfect, pure divinity. That's number one. It is infallibly ever-present, can't go away, and it's pure love. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your genuine presence. It has been fun, fun to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, you too, Valeria. It's been uh, just delightful sharing like this and being able to at this level. It's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just totally a delight to be able to talk. Talking to myself, that's what it feels like. You know, just one, one here is talking to itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> And it is fun, isn't it? That might be the whole yes. plan. And just to have fun. Yes. <laughs> This kind of fun. Yes. Um, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, on, on the website, which is uh, HTTPS uh, colon forward slash forward slash. And then my name, Peter. P-E-T-E-R, last name is tricky, D-Z-I-U-B like boy, A-N as in now, dot com, peterjubin.com. Wonderful. And there's uh, audios and uh, books there and uh, free writings and, uh, you know, a lot of material. My, and my website is sort of a little bit under construction right now. I'm starting to revamp it and change it up because it you know, just needs some freshening up. So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter, and we'll talk soon. You too, Valeria. I really, really appreciate it. It's just been delightful, and thanks to your audience too for when they'll be listening. Wonderful. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Peter Francis Jubin, please visit his website, peterjubin.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.